Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 250, which seems like it's kind of a big deal. I mean, I think it is. I'm having fun with it. I'm glad we've been able to put down 249 episodes previous to this. Lots of fun to be had. And so we thought it's been something that we've been teasing for quite some time now is that we've been doing this attraction storytelling series, and we want to expand that into dining because it's one of the things that we have noticed recently, I feel like, is that there is so much story that expands past just the attraction. We, we talk a little bit about lands whenever we do the attractions, but the food experience is a whole different ballgame, and that is something that I think even goes more unnoticed than the attractions. Oh, absolutely. And it's something that I don't know if we would have noticed as much if maybe we didn't live here. So I think it's been kind of fun for us to just try to uncover, you know, just new things or different stories. You know, everywhere you go in Disney, there's some sort of picture on the wall and just trying to figure out, you know, what does that mean? Or what's the bigger picture here? Because there's always a bigger picture. So it's been fun for us. And we thought maybe it would be something that everyone would be interested in. Yeah, I think, you know, you talk about that, like you see a picture, you learn that everything is intentional, that there's nothing there just placed randomly, that everything is telling a story, whether it's just the tiniest little detail or if it's unlocking something much, much bigger. And I think that's kind of where we want to take this direction of how we want to do that. So a big area of interest for us and probably the mecca of Disney dining, I would argue, at this point in time, is Disney Springs. And before we can even begin to scratch the surface on all the different restaurants and dining locations in Disney Springs, you know, looking at you, Gideon's, Boathouse, (laughs) all of the above, we kind of need to talk about what is Disney Springs? Because if not, we're going to be rehashing it in every single episode. So you can probably expect that we're going to be doing quite a few of these restaurant storytellings here in Disney Springs for the next little while, because this is this is like an onion, to use a Shrek reference. There are <laughs> so many layers here in terms of what the story is. So we're just going to scratch the surface here today as to what is Disney Springs? What is the story that's being told to us there? And then we can get into these really, really intricate and deep stories, even about a little bit of a spoiler alert about the people who lived in Disney Springs, quote unquote. It's a little loose. But yeah, I mean, the goal today is definitely just the overarching theme because it's kind of like its own mini series since Disney Springs, like you said, is its own mecca that it's become over the years. And, you know, until you know the overall theme, you can't get a deeper appreciation for like the hangar bar, you know, because it ties in together. Like you said, everything's intentional. The story behind Disney Springs is super intentional. 
Um, so we thought it'd be fun to start there. And kind of like the penultimate, I think, to this series is going to be a place like Gideon's, which we've not been into yet. But when you talk about telling a story, I mean, that's, I think that's kind of got everybody's appetite wet as that people know now that Disney Springs actually has a story. So I think it's good timing. Gideon's just opening up recently. It's a good time for us to dive into this. So I think a good place to start, let's just go through a brief history of Disney Springs. And it is a very long uh, history as well. So we're just going to hit some of the highlights and things that stand out to us for over the years. But the first inception of this area started as the Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village, and it opened on March 22nd of 1975. So if you're doing the math on that one, that is four years after the Magic Kingdom opened. So this area actually has a longer history than Epcot, which opened in 1982, which I didn't even realize. Whenever, you know, just when you drive through property, it feels like you're going into a new area. And I know they redid all of the roads there part in part of the Disney Springs makeover, but it doesn't feel like it's a really old area. Like you get that same feeling at Magic Kingdom. It's like the roads are a little bit smaller and... A little more, you know, it it just feels like it was planned in the 70s. Disney Springs doesn't feel that way. No, it doesn't. This fact is probably one of the ones that surprised me the most, just because I didn't realize that it had always been there. You know, I just kind of always thought that it just went from um, downtown Disney and Pleasure Island straight to Disney Springs, and it was fairly new. So the fact that this is older than Epcot, is just kind of crazy. Yep. So that name, the Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village, only lasted for two years. Then in 1977, they changed that over to Walt Disney World Village. And Village would be, you can see both in the first two names, that's kind of an idea that they played around with a lot uh, early on. And so really the idea behind the first two iterations of this area was it's mainly just shopping mm-hmm. was the main goal of what they were trying to get to. Yeah, I mean, Disney always wants you to spend money, right? Um, but I found a fun fact. So in 1977, so if you can picture it, if you've ever been to Disney Springs, the big steamboat paddle boat that they Is have there. a steamboat or a paddle boat? Paddle steamer river boat. It's quite the name. It's a It's a mouthful, honestly. Um, but it's called the Empress Lily. It was named after Lillian Disney, so named in tribute to her. Um, that's when it was brought to this area. So I thought that was pretty cool that, again, it had been there for so long. It's not just something that randomly showed up. Um, of course, that has its own history that we're not going to get into too much. But this is where Paddlefish is currently housed. Yep. So we'll do an episode on paddlefish in the future, but that is interesting. I didn't realize that the boat actually had a name and it was named after Lillian. And she was there when it opened. Well, that is cool. We're going to have to try to find a picture of that. Oh, yes. So then you fast forward from 1977, 1984 is around when Michael Eisner took over the Walt Disney Company. And that's when we really start to get this idea behind the Disney bubble. In Walt Disney World, which now people laugh about, and it's kind of a funny thing because now transportation is easier than ever. You can lift, you can Uber, you can go off property, on property. 
That's probably one of the top questions I see asked nowadays. I feel like when people mm-hmm. visit Walt Disney World, there's, where can I go eat off property? And now there's tons and tons of options. But at the time, you really had to go to downtown Orlando if you wanted to experience too much because uh, celebration wasn't really a thing at this point in time. And so when they were surveying guests and then they were just noticing guest behavior, they noticed that a lot of adults were heading into downtown Orlando for nightlife. And so there was this idea brought about, well, if someone comes to Walt Disney World, we need to keep them on property for their entire stay. And so that kind of got the wheels turning for that this is an area that has a ton of potential. And their response was Pleasure Island. And so... Eisner took over in 1984, and then Pleasure Island opened five years later in 1989. If you're also thinking about what's happening around the same time period, it opened on May 1st, 1989, the same opening date as Hollywood Studios. So I was going to say arguably, but not even arguably, the two biggest um, influences for adults coming to Walt Disney World are opened on the same day, I feel like. Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely shows a shift in perspective where, you know, they were typically focused on children and families, obviously, but then just taking that mindset of saying, you know, well, you know, these are adults, you know, or other adults might be coming to Disney, whatever it might be. They want things to do at night. So how can we appeal to that population? How can we get them to come and stay is something... That obviously had never been done before. So I think that's a cool shift. So we're not going to focus too much on Pleasure Island. For those of you who are old enough to experience it, I know it was like the greatest thing since sliced bread. So jealous. I'm sad that we didn't get to. I do remember as a kid, you know, because at a certain time period, they said it was 21 and up, Mm -hmm. maybe 18 and up, but probably 21 and up. 21. And I remember for some reason we had to walk through there as a family to get to where we needed to go. Maybe it was our car. I can't remember what exactly it was, but feeling just like so naughty and like, oh my gosh, I'm behind the scenes of Pleasure (laughs) Island at night. Because that was, it was, there were signs put up and there were uh, security checks of, you cannot go past, well, maybe there wasn't security. I think there were, I know there were signs though, Mm -hmm. saying you cannot pass this area. Yeah, I remember it was like a staple for my parents that they would always go just one night while we were at Disney and our grandparents would watch us and it was like a whole thing. And I always thought it was you know, super cool. So some might say this is the birth of the Disney adults era, you know, that this is kind of where they laid the foundation that we are no longer just a children's destination. We are a destination You know, and Walt always wanted to be for the entire family, but now you've got specific things that are being offered to guests that are specifically not for kids, where before it was just open to all age groups. Now this is specifically just for adults. And if you think about what else is going on in Orlando at this time period, this is also when Universal Studios is about to open. So they opened in June of 1990. So just a year later after Hollywood Studios, MGM Studios, and Pleasure Island. And again, everything is intentional. So I don't know necessarily if they were trying to beat 
universal to anything, but they were definitely very forward thinking in what they were doing for sure. So at this time, you still have Pleasure Island and the Walt Disney World Village are kind of the two different areas. Um, And then once Pleasure Island opened, you got Disney Village Marketplace. But they're still separated. They're Disney Village Marketplace and they're Pleasure Island. They are together, but they're separate. And that does not roll off the tongue well. I mean, that's kind of a mouthful. Disney Village Marketplace. I don't know who was in charge of that name, but I don't like it. So we're at the end of the 80s at this point. Then when you transition to the early 90s, Walt Disney World is booming at this point, probably because you and I were born and our family started to go very frequently. And so that's when you start seeing even more expansion. So we got Pleasure Island in the 80s. The 90s is kind of defined by shopping, particularly World of Disney. And World of Disney, so it opened October 2nd, 1996. Um, This is after Walt Disney World pumped about a billion dollars into renovating, I guess, just pumping money into it. Expanding, that's a better word. Um, But even today, it is the largest Disney character store in the world, which is just crazy. Especially when you think about... I don't know, just like Tokyo or like all these new cool places that they've built to think that that store is still the biggest is somewhat mind boggling to me. Yeah. And so after a year of World of Disney being open in 1996, they kept them still separated in the Walt Disney or Village Marketplace, Disney Village Marketplace, whatever it's called, Mm -hmm. and Pleasure Island. Then in 1997 is where we get the rebranding to downtown Disney. And with that came a lot of really cool stuff. So that's when we started to see things like Disney Quest, House of Blues, and um, Cirque du Soleil come into the picture. So that's all of the West Side, which it's still currently called the West Side. But yeah, that's the next expansion uh, that happens as well in 1997. So now we're finally all under one name, one roof for this big happy family and this area of what's going on. And then they close Pleasure Island. If we fast forward to 2008 is when they decide to close down that area. And then not really much happens up until 2016 where we get the Disney Springs renovation. Yeah, so we're kind of skipping over a little chunk of history where they thought they were going to rebrand Pleasure Island. They realized it was going to be one of those uh, typical Disney Band-Aid situations where it wasn't actually going to fix anything. And they opted to pump the brakes a little um, until they actually figured out what they wanted to do. And I think that was the right choice. I think they made that move over and over and over again. And it just kind of seems like they recognized a quick fix wasn't going to fix it. Yeah. And so I think you can even apply that same concept to the entire land. And that's where we got Disney Springs. And what you get with Disney Springs is the introduction of a cohesive theme for the entire area. Yeah, just one story. And that's what we want to get into, of course, the storytelling, because this wasn't completely unheard of for this area. Pleasure Island actually had a very elaborate backstory that again, we're not going to get into, but it was so elaborate 
that it made it difficult for Disney to expand or for new, you know, places, people, businesses to come in because they would have to adapt to this very elaborate story. So not only did they want a cohesive story, but they wanted something that just fit better, that made more sense without being so overly elaborate that it was ridiculous. Yeah. So as we currently see it, Disney Springs is divided into four main areas. The marketplace, that's the Earl of Sandwich area where the co-op is. It even extends all the way out to, um, what's the zoo restaurant called? The like G- Rainforest Cafe? Rainforest Cafe. <laughs> <laughs> we go there so so little, I don't remember what it's called very often. Uh, that entire area and kind of leads all the way up into the town center area, which is where the new shops and everything are. That's where you would see Polite Pig, Zara, Anthropology. Are you drooling over Polite Pig right now? Oh, you can't say Polite Pig and not drool. The other areas that you get are the landing. That's where you see the boathouse, hangar bar, that entire area. And then you get the west side, which was the only area that pretty much kept its same name. That's what it was originally called when they expanded it, when they unveiled downtown Disney Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, I guess the marketplace, you could kind of say, kept the same name as well. But it was never just known as the marketplace. It was all kinds of different things. But all of these different areas play into this unique story that is Disney Springs. And so the story of Disney Springs is that it was settled in the mid-1800s by a cattle rancher who discovered the town's namesake springs, which I knew to a certain extent that it was all centered around the springs. The the name is no coincidence that the actual springs that are located there behind Homecoming next to Deluxe Burger, it's all based on this body of water, these hot springs. And, but I didn't realize that it was actually a cattle rancher who found them. Yeah, it seems kind of funny. I mean, I guess that would be just like a very natural kind of occurrence. Like, oh, I just stumbled here. And I mean, it's just like, I guess, ancient civilizations. You can't live somewhere unless you have a body of water. So here we are with a body of water. And that just kind of allows everything to unfold from there. Um, And it's nice because, again, this is just a very, like, natural story. They're not trying to create anything that's ridiculous, but it's very similar to other Florida cities. So if you think about things like uh, places like St. Augustine, you know, you are being built up because of this natural springs. So I like that they're also paying homage to just Florida. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it's that's kind of where they got the influence is that they looked at these other Florida cities and they wanted to build a story that would basically convey that Disney Springs was before, here before the theme parks. Mm-hmm. And we've just moved in and now we're getting to experience this area. But that's kind of the idea is that the springs gather the first few people, then they make it into a town, then it continues growing, then they start getting visitors And more people settling in this area. And that's how it's expanded and become this large city. Would you call it a city or a town? I don't know. I mean, it's 
it's almost just like an interesting settlement. Like I have a hard time picking a name for it because it is, not that it's a hodgepodge, but because it has these four different elements, you can see where it's grown over time. So it's like, what kind of category does it fall into? I don't know. I still think it's a town. I mean, I guess specifically because they still call it town center. True. Maybe I'm going to stick with it being a town. If they continue to expand it, then it might become a city. But that kind of plays into, you know, these four different areas tell a different story and different time periods in the evolution of Disney Springs. And I know you had some stuff that you want to talk about with the Imagineers on how they even like got the inspiration for this. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, just thinking about Central Florida and Walt, because everything ties back to, you know, his plan and his original vision, obviously, for Walt Disney World. So they enjoyed kind of playing into his family's actual history. So his parents were actually married here in Central Florida. This is where they met and got married, um, actually in a small town called Kismet, Florida. Um, apparently the town of Kismet, Florida is no longer there. It's vanished. It's gone. It just faded away. It's part of a forest, like a protected area now, isn't it? I don't know if it's a protected area, but it's near um, like Ocala, Ocala, I guess however you want to say it. Um, it's in that area. <laughs> however you want to say it. How would you say it? I don't know. I'm just saying like there's probably a correct pronunciation. Or is it like tomato, tomato? No. I think it's Ocala. Anywho, um, they were kind of basing it off of this little town of Kismet because it was also, you know, developed next to a spring. And they always enjoyed the idea that maybe since his parents were from Central Florida, you know, maybe they saw this little piece of land and told Walt about it. And he decided to develop the area into what now is Disney Springs. So... Again, even though there's not an elaborate backstory, and although that didn't actually happen, I think the Imagineers liked the idea of this is like a natural story. It's not something, again, that's completely fantasy, but this could have happened. This could have been a small town. Walt could have discovered it. His parents could have discovered it. Um, So it's just kind of natural. Yeah. And and we've kind of mentioned it before, but the Springs part of this name is obviously very intentional at this point. That's abundantly clear in that that's kind of the source or the lifeblood, if you will, of this entire area. And I think that's kind of a good way of viewing this is that the Springs and the Guest Relations Building are like the exact middle of Disney Springs. And if you view it that way, and you almost view the Guest Relations Building as City Hall, like an impromptu City Hall, Everything expands out from there. And that's kind of your basis for everything. Now, it's a little bit difficult, I think, to imagine that, especially for people like us who experience downtown Disney so many times, Mm -hmm. because you view like the World Disney and the marketplace area. I always viewed that that's the center of Disney Springs because that's where the buses used to drop you off. The west side was the far walk area yeah remember didn't they even it still use, is didn't they used to have boats that would run you from one side to the other i don't remember honestly i think they did and so it's 
it's a little bit of a hard transition, especially for people who've been there. But if you try to think of it from a very clean slate, that is now considered the epicenter of this town and of this city. It's a little funny to think like the closest thing to the Springs is like Deluxe Burger. So, well, there's a lot of things in that area, but yeah, a lot of things come to mind. Homecoming comes to mind. Frontera Casino. Uh, like sp- the Sprinkles Cupcake place comes to mind. I mean, some people might argue that's the best thing in Disney Springs. Who? Anywho, um, it's interesting that the springs were man-made. I feel like that's abundantly clear if you see them because they're so beautiful but because they're like the focal point of the story, a lot of planning went into the building of the springs, which is a fun element to the story. So they actually poured the colors into the concrete and they mixed in like little pieces of glass to show like some dimension in the colors and the light. And in what I read online, they only had 30 minutes to make it all happen, to like mix it all together and work with it before it started to harden. And it's a pretty big springs area. It's very shallow, though. It's very shallow. But I feel like with the depth, I don't know. I feel like the color and the lighting could mess with you. Like, I'm sure it is shallow. But, like, how shallow? I thought, like, two feet max. You think it could be more? I don't know. I just... For it to be the focal point of this whole place, that just seems odd. But they even took it a step farther. So they took um, trees that are found naturally in Florida, so things like oak trees, cypress trees, and they would carve like the roots and stuff into the bottom of this spring to try to make it look like it had been there longer. So lots of little details that you can look for next time you're there. So now that we've established like the springs itself, that's that's the center. That's where everything feeds off of. Let's talk about these four different areas because that is going to allow us that when we go into these different dining locations in the future episodes, that we will understand kind of what these different areas mean to the city and mean to us and how the restaurants play into that. So let's start with the marketplace, which like we said, that's what we would have considered the center area here. That's World of Disney. That is the co-op and all of that area. The architecture in this area is American craftsman style of the 1930s. And so a natural question that might come up is, wait, you said that this town was set in the 1860s or mid-1800s. Mm-hmm. That is true. But if you think about that the springs are the middle What does a city do? A a city expands outward. And so the marketplace being one of the farthest places from the town center, you can imagine that it, it was built at a later point in time. So this would have also been the area where the people lived in this city. And then this also would have been where they uh, went to eat and to shop for like essential goods. More so if they're doing more uh, non-essential shopping, that w- that's done in a different area. Of course. But it's pretty interesting. There are very specific, and next time you go there, look at this and notice there there's differences in architectural theming based on what area you're in and how um, 
that plays into the story. There's a very hard cutoff once you pass World of Disney between there and the landing. Mm-hmm. Well, the landing is towards the boathouse, but you can see it there. And then there in between there and the town center as well. Yeah. When I think about the architecture of the marketplace, a few that really stand out to me, like as you were talking about things like housing um, and just kind of that era, I was thinking about um, like where the pins are located. Um, the pin trading? Yes. Like if you look at the roof, it kind of has like the scalloped edge. Like sometimes it almost looks like some of those buildings are like little gingerbread houses almost, um, which is the way that they're designed. So it is very homey, I guess you could say. So it is very much intentional. And the architecture is playing directly into that feeling. Yeah. So there's not too much dining, I think, that we will talk about in future episodes in the marketplace specifically, because the focus is more on shopping in this area and also living. Mm-hmm. So it, I, the co-op is really the best representation of what this area is about, because different merchants and different vendors can come in and set up shop and sell to the people of Disney Springs. Next area that we want to talk about is the landing, which is my personal favorite area of Disney Springs. And so the landing is all about transportation. So put yourself right there in front of the boathouse. Think about all of the different nods and references that we get in that specific area to transportation. The boathouse itself (laughs) is for boating. You got the amphicars that are driving into Lake Buena Vista. You have the hangar bar, which is obviously a nod to planes. What we don't have, and I have an interesting question for you, we don't have trains. But do we? Like if you look at the ground, specifically like right there in front of, I think it's hangar bar, kind of if you leave hangar bar um, and you're looking at Gideon's to your right and you have... Wine Bar George to your left. I do believe that there are, there's like some brickwork and almost like an old railway track there. Like I can, I, I've stood there before I can picture it. Yeah. You, so you are correct. Okay. I was going to expand on that and say, we do know that a train is coming to Disney Springs. That connection to the airport. Now, I don't know how they would finagle it into this area. And I know that this train is not necessarily playing into the story of Disney Springs. This train is for practical use. Oh, absolutely. Not story. It's for moving people from one place to the other. But it would be cool if somehow it could tie into this area one way or another. But like this- if that's where they put the hub kind of thing? Is that what you're saying in this area? Yeah. Which I don't think they will because I'd have to eat into the lake and I don't think they want to do that. No. But it would just be interesting if you could get another nod to transportation in this area. But it's also the marina for this city. And so this is where you can pick the boat up to take you to Saratoga Springs, which that in itself is an entirely different story. So Saratoga Springs is a sister city to Disney Springs. There's a lot of trade that goes back and forth between these two places. But that's really what you need to think about in the landing area, which is the area that used to be Pleasure Island, is 
Transportation. I like it. I like that they put it all together. And I think once we do start talking about those restaurants, they're going to play nicely with each other. They will. And it'll give us a good reason to go eat there. Correct. So two more lands. I'm going to call them lands because they're designed just like you would think of in a magic kingdom. Yeah. Of the different lands and they're all telling a different story. And they're all spreading out from their central focal point. Yeah. Like a hub and spoke style theme park, honestly, Mm -hmm. is kind of what it looks like. Uh, So the west side, which is the area furthest away from the town center, they do touch to a certain extent. But this is the area where you can go bowling, you can watch a movie, you can see the circus, you can listen to blues music. This is the entertainment district. And so this is where when they have out-of-town guests coming in, this is where they would send them to get their entertainment. This is also where they would go and uh, you know experience those things for a night out on the town is in this west side district. You can notice in the theming, and it's appropriate both based on this uh, theoretical timeline of Disney Springs and the actual timeline of Disney Springs. This has the newest architecture of anywhere. So this is a very industrial feel into this area because both in the fictional story and in the real story, this is the newest expansion that they've done to this city town. Yeah, I like that. I can appreciate that, how you can kind of work your way around and see that change in architecture. I also think just having like an entertainment district, it's kind of not that it's paying homage to Pleasure Island by any means, but it's a new way of having like that nightlife, you know, because if you think about it, you know, the Splitsville, the movies, Cirque du Soleil, um, House of Blues, all those things are where you would go to kind of maybe experience some of those same things. It's what can we do after the parks close kind of feeling. Um, So it does play nicely to the theme, but it is also very practical. The one that I have a little more difficulty fitting into the story is the NBA experience. Why did you have to bring that up? We could have just pretended like it wasn't even there. And now the M&M store as well. They are bringing some more food into that area. Obviously, you can eat at the House of Blues, but to me, that just never stands out as a place to go eat. So I do feel like they're trying to bring more things into that area because if you've ever been into that area during the day, it is quite dead. Well, and especially right now with the movie theaters barely running and Cirque du Soleil closed, there's not too many reasons for people to go down there. Like right there in front of City Works, completely empty. Yeah. So I feel like it, they're bringing more to that district. And it'll be interesting to see how that continues to evolve. So I do think this area has the biggest flexibility in terms of story. Because it's the entertainment district and because it is the newest style of architecture. It doesn't have to be, and I don't want to spoil it too much, but it doesn't have to be a Gideon's where you can build this elaborate backstory of how this ended up here. West Side, I think you can get away with a lot more. You can't put the M&M store in the landing. You can't put the M&M store even in the marketplace. 
I think the only place it can go is West Side. And again, I think that's why they do have these distinct areas because they wanted, they didn't want to have to seal themselves off from anything. You know, they wanted this story that was so free flowing that it doesn't matter who approaches Disney Springs and wants to come in, like they can find a spot for them. And obviously some stores are easier to just kind of put wherever, but it is quite obvious that each thing has its own little niche. So I think that is quite intentional. Yeah. I guess what my point is, is that a lot of these places, the story is so apparent or there's a story there. West side, the story is probably the weakest out of any area. We'll just have to dig a little more. I don't think Everglazed has a very specific story. We could be wrong. Could House of Blues, though? House of Blues probably definitely has a real story. Everglazed is Florida-based. Disney Springs is Florida-based, Brendan. That's still not a story. That's just like a nice coincidence. Well... I'll take what I can get. Last area to talk about, and we've kind of talked about it at various points in the episode, is the town center. And so this is the central business district. This is why you see the two-story buildings as well, because those are offices and apartments above these. They are they are actually offices, and then they are actually, in theory, offices as well. But this is where the town people would be spending a lot of the, their day. This is where they work. This is where they do pleasure shopping instead of the marketplace where they're doing essential shopping. And so that's why I used to see things like Zara, Anthropology, um, Columbia Store, all of that stuff in the town center. So the town center is actually a pretty large area because it got, runs all the way from the springs and runs back towards the bus stop. It's also the bus stop plays a story into this as well, is that when newcoming guests come in, they need to start in the town center. Drop you right off where the stores are. Any city would do that to you. Nope, they're dropping you off right at City Hall. Just happens to be stores there. Fair enough. But this is definitely the area of Disney Springs that appeals to me the most. As far as the architecture um, and the design, it does have that Spanish revival architecture that you talked about. And it's, I mean, I think it's the most visually appealing um, part of the whole Disney Springs makeover that we got. Um, and it is nice that this is where you can find some of those you know, like fancy stores. Yeah. One part that I have struggled with in understanding about this area is that the music. And so if you think about the music, it's very like modern music that they play throughout Disney Springs. Mm -hmm. And to me, I get stuck on trying to think that because this was found in the mid 1800s and then they expanded out the story. We're not stuck in those time periods that the, that is just the history of this area, but it is, current day you know what i'm trying to say yeah. like when you walk through liberty square you it's, were transported back in time because that's where it is set disney mm -hmm. springs is set today yeah but it just has a backstory so are you saying you don't like that do you wish 
no, that the I'm music just, changed? No, I'm just saying that that was something hard for me to understand about this area is trying to think, well, why, if it's set in the past, why do we have this very futuristic elevator style music? But it's, it's, that's not the case. We are present day. This city has built up over the last 150 years to become what it is now. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, a, a, it shows that the city has evolved and is still evolving and growing. Um, and that's in, you know, a lot of the details that we've talked about. One thing that I know we didn't specifically mention is like the water tower that they have, um, you know, a lot of thought and energy was put into not only having a water tower, but also designing it to show kind of those same two things that you just talked about, where you can see the remnants of the old water tower. Um, you can see like the wording that's faded in the back, but then on top of it, you know, they slapped the brand new like Disney Springs, like this is what it is now. So it is that interesting mix of the old and the new, and they're trying to showcase both together. A couple of other little interesting facts that I thought about is that they actually kind of use this idea also for Cars Land. They, uh, yeah. Cars Land has the same thing of that, what is it, the Model T uh-huh. guy found the water there, and that's how Radiator Springs was built up. And I guess it's not specifically in Cars Land, that's just in cars. Just cars. Period. So that's interesting, I think, that they're kind of playing with similar ideas. And I don't know why I never realized this, but I, for some reason, I always thought Downtown Disney was at Disneyland. But it is newer than here. I mean, it was built at the same time that Downtown Disney, it was built a couple years after it was rethemed Downtown Disney in Orlando. So you're saying you didn't realize that our Disney Springs is older than Disneyland's downtown Disney. Correct. So it was just empty there? You just walked through nothing? I don't know. I don't, I don't, we're not Disneyland people, so. And we, no, we didn't uh, dive into that, obviously. We'll have to at some point. But yeah, it's, uh, it was the second downtown Disney. So it's a common theme though. Yeah. So anything else? I mean, I guess just, you know, do you wish the story was more in your face? Because it is something that we had probably been to Disney Springs a hundred times before we realized that there was an actual story here. I don't mind so much that this one's not in your face, like maybe it is at the theme parks, simply for the fact that it is not a theme park. I think when I go to a place like Disney Springs, I'm not really expecting a full-blown story. Now, because it's Disney, I expect something to be there. And of course, it is well thought out. But I don't necessarily think it needs to be extremely elaborate. You know, I think it's nice to be able to look just like as you're walking, you know, next time we go to Disney Springs, we're going to look at all the different buildings and see how it transitions and the tie-ins. And I think that's fun, but I think past that you don't need more. 
And I think that's where they grew from, you know, their Pleasure Island days where like they literally had plaques around Pleasure Island that told you the different story of what was going on. And it just turned out to be too much. And people didn't connect with it. People didn't care. It ended up making Disney's life harder when all these new businesses tried to come in. So I almost just feel like they did just enough to like appease us nerds who are interested in this and who are looking for more. And I think each business that comes in, you know, it's not just a cookie place. And, you know, and that's what we're so excited to look into now is that that's where you get the story. So I think Disney Springs is like a wider canvas for like these individual stories to shine through more. And I think that's perfect. Yeah, I agree. I I do think it is, it's nice that it's not overbearing, but there is a lot to learn if you want to. That the option is there yes, to keep going into it. And just to kind of look forward as to what this series is going to be like is that current day, whenever a new business wants to come into Disney Springs, they have to work with Disney Creative and with the Imagineers, and they have to create a story for their location and their business and how it fits into this overall narrative of Disney Springs. Some of those a little more subtle. Like, I don't know if the hat shop has too deep of a story, but I know Gideon's does. Mm-hmm. And I know the Ganashri does and all these other Amaretts does. And so that's what we're going to jump into in the near future. Oh, in the very near future. So we're excited to just keep this ball rolling um, and to just dive into these smaller stories now. Um, and see not only how that story impacts that business. Um, so even though we're not going to review the food per se, we are going to see how the food or whatever they offer plays into it in the story. We're going to see how that ties into the district that it's in. So we're going to keep talking about, you know, the town center and West Side and um, the marketplace and everything so that we can keep seeing those ties But, I mean, I just think the possibilities are endless. And then, you know, this only kind of breaks the seal as far as restaurants because then we can get into the parks. And there, that's when you expect the crazy story. It's at Disney Springs, but you just don't expect it. Yep. So, hope you guys enjoyed this first episode as we dive into this new evolution to our storytelling episodes. If you enjoyed this or got any kind of information out of it at all, we would really appreciate an iTunes review. It is absolutely the best way to help us. And what better way to celebrate 250 episodes with us than to give us an iTunes review? We would really appreciate that. We are, as you, if you're watching us on YouTube, you know that this is an episode that we released on YouTube as well. We hope to get that back up and running and putting out both the audio and the video versions of these episodes on a regular basis. So we appreciate all of you guys' support. Hope you have a wonderful weekend, and we will chat with you next Monday.
Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon.